listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Send in your question or comment. To participate in the show, you can text or call 757-774-8482. Or to email the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Yes, indeed. Holiday greetings to you. It's the Fret Files podcast, the guitar tech podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I'm a longtime guitar builder and repairman, and no co-host today. I'm flying solo. Just me and a hot cup of Apex coffee. Mm-hmm. I've got some uh, announcements for you. Well, first of all, let me tell you about the show today. We're going to do uh, some question and answer stuff, and then later in the show, we're going to have an interview with my buddy Frank Gross from Thunder Road Guitars. Frank's got a shop, uh, Thunder Road Guitars, in Seattle, and there's another location in Portland, Oregon. And uh, we're going to talk to Frank about life and guitars and and the state of the guitar market and other things. It's going to be a fun interview, so don't miss that. Meanwhile, I've got some news for you. Uh, We are going to do something different with the podcast. I'm going to take it a Slightly different direction, but, uh, it'll, well, it'll still be the same. It'll still be the same show. I'm just going to take a little bit of a break. So there's going to be no show on January 1st, and then I'll be back January 15th with a, a new show. And then every month after that, it'll be the 15th. So we're going to do one show a month instead of two shows a month. I just, I need to... I need to buy myself more time. I've allowed myself to get way behind on repairs and on custom builds. So we're going to take the show to monthly, but uh, I think that will <clears throat> I think that the content of the show will actually improve. I'll have more content per show and uh I will uh get a little bit more time to work in the shop, the the podcast. I love doing the podcast, and I love hanging out with you guys. I love the uh, the mail I get and the calls and the interaction. Uh, you know, I've learned just as much from doing this podcast as anybody else has, and I'm going to continue doing it for the foreseeable future. But I am going to cut it in half. It's going to be monthly instead of every other week or fortnightly, as they say, right? That's for you long-time listeners. All right. Uh, let's do some question and answer stuff. Um, I think we have a call to take. Let me take a look here. Yes, we do. We have a call. Hi, Eric, and possibly Matt. Ben here in the UK. Um, I have got a rather crappy old mandolin with a bent neck and no truss rod. Um, I'm not a great mandolin player. I don't really want to spend money getting it fixed up. But I would like to make it a bit more playable. 
Would I be right in thinking that the best way to do that is to kind of force a bit of back bow in the neck and clamp it down and leave it for a while? Um, what is the most super budget way of straightening the neck on a cheap old mandolin? <laughs> Thanks for the show. Yeah. As ever. Wonderful stuff. Cheers. Thank you, sir. Boy, oh boy. So you want you want the most unprofessional way to repair the mandolin. Um if I had it in my shop, first of all, I'll tell you the I'll tell you the right way to do it. Let's start there. If I had that in my shop, a mandolin with too much forward bow in the neck and no truss rod, I would use my uh neck heating iron, my neck press that I got from Players Gear Music. You can get yours at playersgearmusic.com. I would clamp that thing up and force it into a back bow and then plug it in and heat it up. And, uh, and you know, it would be done in a day. <clears throat> uh, if you don't have a neck heating iron, you can clamp it and force it into a back bow, but you could leave it that way for a long time. And when you take the clamps off, it's just going to, it's going to be the same as it was before you clamped it. Maybe slightly better, but probably not much. The secret sauce is the heat. You've got to heat it up in order to uh, force it into <clears throat> having less relief in the neck. So you've you've got to heat it up. There's got to be some way for you to heat it up. Now, I'll leave that up to you because I don't want... <laughs> I don't want to come up with ways to do it incorrectly and have you melt the f finish off of the neck or something, you know. But you've got to heat it up. That's what has to happen. So, I don't know. What are you going to do? Clamp it up and then leave it in a hot car? Where's Ben's calling from the UK. It's not hot there right now. Uh, but there's got to be some way for you to heat it up while it's clamped, and that will... Um, that will give the wood uh, a chance to bend and stay bent. It's the it's not just the pressure, but the heat. You've got to heat it up in order for it to to take. But give that a try. See if you can come up with some way of heating it up. I don't know. I I mean I've got I've got ideas in the back of my mind, but I don't even want to say because you know. The point of this show is to tell you how to do things correctly, and I don't want to come up with, uh, you know, back uh, woods, hillbilly, you know, uh, under a tree mechanic kind of ways to do things. So if you come up with something, let me know how it worked. But you could try just clamping it and not heating it and leaving it that way for a week or two and take the clamps off, see what happened. But my guess is it's going to look exactly the same because heat really is the the secret there. All right, thanks for the question. All right, let's read some emails, shall we? Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. We do. We get stacks and stacks of letters. If you want to participate in the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and send off a question not unlike this one. This is from... Julio in Melbourne, Australia. Hi, Eric. Love the show always. Just a quick question about a 2013 Les Paul Tribute I've just purchased. It's a great guitar. 
that feels and sounds great with flat wounds I've put on it. Mm, nice choice. My question, I've noticed an unusual quirk on the fifth and sometimes the fourth string. As I fret a note and use a bit of finger vibrato, the note sounds out like a fretless note. What I mean is that the note has a slightly fretless sound with that sustain and note bloom that I associate with fretless notes. This mostly happens higher up the neck on the fifth string primarily, especially at the 18th fret. I actually enjoy the sound, and it's so fleeting that it doesn't impact my playing at all, but I wonder if this is a symptom of something that may need attention in the guitar. Is this a thing? Fretted notes that sound out as fretless? Apologies for the long-winded question. Enjoying it all. Take care. Julio from Melbourne, Australia. Julio, I have a few ideas. Uh, The first thing that came to mind is I wonder if the frets are kind of flattened off. And, you know, when you get a fret that doesn't have a nice, sharp contact point in the middle of the fret, so it's not round anymore, but it's like the fret, if you looked at it from the side, is like shaped like a school bus, you know, it's got a really flat surface. Uh, then the contact point between the string and the fret is broad, much like a fretless instrument. So that's one thing that came to mind. The other thing that came to mind is, you know, that high up on the neck, the string gets so short that sometimes it just doesn't have any resonance to it. And that's especially, I think, true with flat wounds. You know, flat wounds have a different sound to them, a different bloom, a different timber. Uh, So that could be just, it could be just that it's flat wounds. I wonder if it did that same thing with, if you put round wounds on it. So that's another idea. Uh, The other thing that came to mind, this happened, this will happen on basses quite often. You'll have a note that just doesn't have the same resonance and sustain You'll pluck a note, and it'll just kind of die off like a fretless, like an upright bass. It'll go plunk instead of boom, right? So, and that'll happen just on a few select frets. And what's happening there is it's the actual overall resonance of the instrument. Uh, and uh, there's a story I read in an article once, a magazine article, where someone came to Leo Fender with this problem and said, listen... My Fender bass on this fret has lots of sustain. And then the very next fret up the neck, it just dies off like a fretless bass. And then the next fret up, it starts to bloom again. And Leo, without really saying anything, reached in a drawer and pulled out a clamp and put a clamp on the headstock and it changed the resonant frequency of the instrument. And he said, okay, now now play. And that, the where that was happening moved on the neck. So it has to do with the mass and the resonant frequency of the instrument. That could be what's happening with your Les Paul. Take a clamp and put a clamp on the headstock. Now you want to use some shims and, or some calls. Don't damage the finish. But if you add mass to the headstock, I wonder if that note will move or if it will disappear. Experiment with that and let me know. 
Let me know what you come up with. I'd be, I'd be really curious to hear uh, if that changes anything for you. All right. Thanks, Julio. Hi, Eric. I own several guitars you've repaired and refretted. One is a 1962 slabboard Strat that has the coolest frets I've ever played. Remember that one? He says, uh, I, I hate to tell you this, but I work on too many guitars to remember a refret that I did years ago. Uh, he says, he continues, I'm looking to have the same frets installed on a 1965 maple board telly. My question, do you ever come back to Seattle to pick up instruments at all? It would make shipping this guitar much more comfortable all around. Thanks, that's from Carl. Oh, no, I've I've not been back to Seattle for five or more years, and uh, it's not a routine. I don't go pick up instruments there. But if you want me to work on it, anybody that wants me to work on a guitar, I'm happy to work on it. Contact me first, and you got to ship it to me. If you're too far to drive, it just it has to be shipped. There's <clears throat> there's ways to ship vintage instruments. You know, you've really got to pack them correctly. You've got to insure the package. Uh, they need to be packed well. I can't stress that enough. Pack it well. I double box things, and that's a good way to do it and insure it. But, you know, there's things that are scary to ship, like old Les Pauls <laughs> or Gibsons that, you know, because Gibsons have that Achilles heel of the headstock liking to snap off, right? Or an acoustic instrument like a fragile old uh, acoustic guitar like a Martin or something that, you know, the wood that we're dealing with is very thin on the body of those guitars. A Fender? My goodness, a Fender is practically bulletproof. You could just about use the thing as a pogo stick, and it'll it'll still be in tune. So I wouldn't be too concerned about shipping a, uh, a Fender to me, especially from so close, from Seattle. You double box it, you ship it to me, I can refret it. I tell you, uh, I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. That can be done. All right, thanks, Carl. Next question. Hello, Eric. I have a guitar that I love, but the fingerboard is just a bit too narrow. I'm wondering, is it possible to widen the fingerboard on this guitar? It's a Les Paul with a bound fingerboard. Thanks. Uh, you know, sometimes, well, sometimes I get questions that like this one that make me wonder... Um, I mean, you know, I don't want to pick on you, right? But there's things that are, f like, within the realm of possibility, physically, and things that just are really pushing the boundaries of what's possible. I'm curious how you envision that process unfolding. I'm curious how... I'm curious in your mind how how you envision me widening the fingerboard because I can't think of any possible way of doing that. Um, I mean, if we replace the fingerboard with a wider one, it's going to be hanging off the edges of the neck. Uh, so, yeah. No. No, I cannot widen the fingerboard on that guitar or any other guitar. That's not a possibility. Thanks for the questions. We're going to take a little break, 
and we will be back with an interview with Frank Gross. You know playersgearmusic.com is the go-to place for neck heating irons or neck presses. We've been telling you about that for a long time, but you should really check out his effects pedals. Go to playersgearmusic.com. Rick over there makes custom guitar pedals, and he makes all kinds. They're so unique. Check them out. Uh, Distortion pedals, boosts, fuzz pedals, and sometimes they're in really unique um, containers. Sometimes they're uh, painted wild. you got to check it out. Playersgearmusic.com. While you're there, look up the neck heating irons that he sells. It's the only place on earth that I'm aware of you can still buy one, and it's essential. It's essential in my shop. I use mine all the time. Playersgearmusic.com. Check it out. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Based in Waco, Texas, Apex Coffee Roasters searches the globe for the best coffee beans available, roasting them in-house to unlock the natural aromas and flavors that make each cup an individual experience. Order Apex Coffee online. Fret Files listeners can use the promo code PINUP at checkout to receive 10% off from apexcoffeeroasters.com. Hey, life happens. Coffee helps. apexcoffeeroasters.com. It's good stuff. Hello, Frank. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Eric. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's good to talk to you. It's been a while. I know. It has been a while. I, uh, how I, are things? Things are good, man. I have no complaints. Things are good with you? Things are good, yeah. Um, you know, it's the uh, the holiday season. Kids have their last day of school today before holiday break. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Me too. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that time of year. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you making time to come on the show. I know it's, I'm sure that yeah. the, sh- I, I'm sure the shop is super busy right now. But um, I just wanted to talk to somebody in the industry who really has more of a finger on the pulse of what's going on in the guitar market and what's hot and what's not and what's going on. But f- before we get into that, awesome. man, before we get yeah. into that, I want to hear... Uh, and the listeners want to hear your backstory about Thunder Road Guitars, man. When did when did Thunder Road Guitars open? Um, well, so that's kind of a two-folded question. So we, um, or I rather, um, started Thunder Road in January of 2012 as an e-commerce, you know, website. Um, oh yeah, and uh, I, I remember driving around Seattle in, in my uh, 1986 Volvo. Uh, buying guitars off Craigslist and taking pictures of them and throwing them on my site. I remember the car. And, um, it was the Blue Bomber. Yeah, the Blue, the blue bomber. bomber. I don't know if that was you or Trevor that, that came up with that name, but um, <laughs> it, it definitely stuck. Yeah. Well, we, we, worked, um, we worked together at a different shop, and then I remember, I think, like, you went away on tour. You were in a touring band, weren't you? Yeah. So and, and then, we, you and I have known each other, I want to say, since 2002. Oh, I wow. think that yeah. we, we, we both started working at Emerald City at about the same time. My God, it's been Maybe you were... over 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's nuts. So, uh, um, but anyways, yeah, so, you know, we, we worked there and um, I, I graduated high school in 20, or I'm sorry, 2004. Yeah. And then, you know, joined this band and we were like, hey, let's go live in a van and drive around the country and, <laughs> and do that thing. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that was, you know, that was then. And then I think that I came back to Emeralds in 2000. 
2008 yeah. or 2009. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we worked together there and yeah, so we've, we've known each other for, for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, so, so you had a vision and you, you started Thunder Road as an e commerce only. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, and that was really more so out of necessity. I didn't have, uh, a, um, the means or the, I, I really know how to, to open up a, you know, brick and mortar store with three or 400 guitars on the wall. That just wasn't yeah. really in the cards at first. Well, even so though, I so, thought, so was it, was it in your, was it in your mind as a long-term goal? Like, this is going to be a first step. I'm going to open an e-commerce store and then eventually it'll be a brick and mortar store. Or were you that, just that thinking was always the goal? And okay. I did, you know, when, when I started out, it was really, like I said, just me and a camera and our website and yeah. you know, maybe a dozen guitars. Did and you have the a, thought like process a, was, did you have I like have a storage little, unit? Uh, so I, there's a, a thing in Seattle called active space. Um, that's kind of like really, really, really small, little office spaces huh. that um, I think I rented one of those for like $250 a month nice. <laughs> or something just like astronomically low. Yeah. And that's where I kept our, our photo set up and shipping boxes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but so the goal was always to have a, a, a brick and mortar store. I think that, um, you know, I started just as a website and e-commerce just out of, out of necessity. And that's really, what I had the means to do at the time. And the goal was always to grow into having a, a space that people can walk into. And I think that it, it came a little sooner than I thought it would. And it, you know, did better than I thought it would, you know, really was going to. Yeah. Um, so we were able to that fall open our, our first brick and mortar store in West Seattle. Yeah. At the first location. In Correct. The, in yeah. The... It was about 800 square feet of, uh, blissful joy <laughs> yeah and then you then you move down the street to a, a different location a bigger store right? mm -hmm. yeah we've we've moved I, I joke all the time we've moved our store three times and the first time that we moved was really just like we need more space we were busting at the seams of this this small little um store that we're in and there's no we can't go up we can't go to the left or right so you know moving into a bigger space made sense um, so we moved into a bigger space in the junction in West Seattle in 2015. And then um, our, without digging too far into it, our, uh, we had a, a different, um, how do I say this? We had a different idea of what our, our, monthly rent should be than our landlord. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. After, that's, after that's, a few years. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a common problem. There. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I I, I didn't really want to roll over and just kind of, I, I didn't see an end to that, I guess is what I'm getting at. Sure. Like, I kind of figured it would just continue happening. So um, we moved into the building that we're in now in 2019 and we're able to purchase it. Um, and that kind of made it so we, we don't really have to worry about rent increases per se. Yeah. Um, we're kind of, yeah. Good. You're locked in. Uh, I, when you were talking about a $250 little office space, I'm, I'm wondering what that little tiny space would rent for now. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it wasn't very big. It was yeah. it was very small, actually. It, it just seems um, like it was maybe it was maybe 150 or 200 square yeah. feet. It was tiny. It seems like prices um, have just gone crazy. Yeah, I would imagine it's got to be at least you know what well more than double what I was paying. Yeah, that's funny. And so at some point, 
you guys opened up a second location in, in Portland, Oregon, right? Yeah. So that happened in 2017. Um, my partner, Will York, who um, operates and owns that location, uh, worked for me here in Seattle. And, um, you know, we got along really well and thought that it would be cool to have a, uh, you know, another Thunder Road in another city in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And Portland kind of seemed like it could use something like that. And yeah. I think that it's been really well received down yeah. in, down there in Portland. Well, that's awesome. Did, so did he, um, he moved to Portland just to open that store? He did. Yeah. Wow, man. That's, that's um, incredible. So, he he was living up here and um, worked at the Seattle store for I want to say almost three years. Yeah, and then um, he moved to Portland in 2017 and um, kind of same deal. Um, started in a smaller location and then um, I think in 2021 moved into a, a bigger space down there. Yeah. So. Do, and yeah. Do you are you focusing mostly on used and vintage or do you carry new brands? So when we first started out it was just using vintage and i think we did at the time we did some pedal brands that were new and that was really it um and, and the reason that i did that was that was kind of what i knew um sure. growing up working in and um mostly that caliber of, of store that's kind of what i knew and um we did that pretty much solely up until right around actually the time of the pandemic yeah. um, with the exception of like maybe some new pedal brands. We didn't really do anything that was new. And when COVID reared its ugly head in, in uh, 2020, we were put in this position where we couldn't open our store. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of took away our ability to get inventory from our, you know, customers here in Seattle. Sure. Um, we couldn't go to, we couldn't go to guitar shows. Yeah. Uh, to, to acquire cool vintage and used guitars. Um, so we're kind of sitting there and we're like, what are we going to do? We have to, you know, keep this, kind of keep this rolling despite everything in the world kind of crumbling around us. Yeah. Um, and, Right before, at the very end of 2019, we had worked out uh, an agreement with the Fender Custom Shop to to just sell um, Fender Custom Shop guitars. Wow! And um, I don't even think we received our you know opening order of Fender Custom Shop guitars by the time COVID kind of broke out. But um, when that happened, we're like, well, Fender does Gretsch, they do Jackson, they do Charvel. Why don't we look okay. into getting some of those to kind of help fill the void? until you know guitar shows come back and we can have people in the store again yeah and and what that did was kind of take our business and really like kind of exploded it um it is kind of wild as that sounds that's great um, we went from you know just doing vintage and new stuff to doing a whole bunch of new stuff as well and the you know kind of agreement with a lot of the brands that we carry is we want to be able to carry the stuff that is curated by us and things that we think is cool and things that we think our customer base will like and you know not just get dumped everything that they make oh yeah um, and that um, relationship has worked really well with um, you know the defenders and the Gibsons and Callings and some of the brands that we carry yeah I follow you on Instagram and it's always cool to see the unique and new things you guys have getting in the shop there it's very cool man <laughs> it's a lot of fun um you know it, like we we're talking about a few minutes ago I've, I've always loved old guitars and vintage guitars and i own a lot of really cool old guitars but i think that um there is a 
market, obviously for for new guitars as well. Oh and, yeah. Um, we just we just try to do it a little differently than some of the the other um, you know larger and smaller companies that do new instruments as well. Yeah. Well, you you were talking about COVID and what what kind of challenges those brought. It was interesting to watch the guitar market change. Uh, during the pandemic, you know, it seems like things got kind of scarce. I know from just from my end, like being a repair guy, there were parts I couldn't get for a long time and prices it, changed. You know, it seems like there was kind of a buying frenzy and uh, price, yes. prices went up, the, you know, supply and demand kicked in. And uh, I'm wondering, well, first of all, Congrats on making it through all of that. Any guitar shop that <laughs> made it through COVID is doing something right. Sure. Um, but uh, it seems like there was like kind of a a guitar frenzy for a while, and I'm wondering if we're heading into a cooling off period, or what are, what are you seeing happening in the guitar market? Well, so, you know, to back up a little bit, so when COVID broke out, my first thought as a, you know, business owner was, we're screwed. this thing thing is happening in the world and this is it and it's been a good run but there's no way that we're going to be able if this thing continues in in the just how quickly it's progressed we're that's it yeah um and you quickly we realize that we're you know we're selling a lot of guitars online despite not being able to have a place that you're not despite not being able to have customers in the store yeah we are selling a, a decent amount of instruments online and um, th- th- it did create this, this weird frenzy that it didn't really start at first, but I would say by maybe May or June of 2020, we were in this full swing of, you know, prices were kind of going nuts on the cool vintage stuff. All the the new stuff, the, the manufacturers literally couldn't, couldn't make it yeah um so the the wait times for new things went from you know reasonable to just completely insane yeah um and people were when i say people like you know customers and consumers were getting a you know they're getting a stimulus check to sit at home some of them were paid by their employers to sit at home they're not going on vacation and they're sitting there on the computers and they're bored. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of people, you know, took that boredom and were like, well, I'm going to learn guitar or I'm going to um, expand my guitar collection or I've always wanted one of these or, you know, whatever it was, there was this just, just giant frenzy. Yeah. And we saw a lot of new collectors and players jump into the market that, you know, we have a lot of customers that we made right at the beginning of COVID that hadn't played before. And, I thought that was really cool that there was, you know, new people kind of entering the arena that um, maybe the the electric guitar hadn't been on their mind before. Sure. Um, So, you know, you, you take all that and you, you stir it into a pot and despite um, other facets of, of commerce, like, um, you know, restaurants or um, bars and and things like that, that really kind of got, the the short end of the stick yeah, with the they, pandemic. They I, th- I think that retail in general, not just musical instrument retail, but just retail in general, really did better than it probably should have. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for for shops know, we that had, were able to ship things, especially you know, I mean, you're shipping guitars all over the world, and uh, yes. you know, UPS never quit running. I mean, that you know, all through the pandemic, <laughs> yeah. we we were still able to ship things, right? Yes, um, and uh, yeah, so. 
with you know with that said 2020 and 2021 were i would say just wild with the whole you know really every facet of the guitar business you know the prices on vintage stuff was skyrocketing um getting new stuff from a lot of our vendors was difficult and when it would land usually it was spoken for by the time it came in the door wow um and uh you know, then I think our first guitar show that we did back after the pandemic was a Southern California guitar show mm-hmm. that we do every, every uh, twice a year. And uh, I'm not going to name any vendors, but there's a few vendors that they, they bring the, the, the same, you know, let's say uh, 100 guitars to these shows mm-hmm. and they set them up at the same prices. And a lot of those prices had always been, you know, like above normal retail. And, uh, one of the vendors completely got cleaned out. I mean, like every instrument at his booth was gone. Wow. And he's sitting there like, what the heck is going on? This has never happened. And I think that he realized that in that year between not having guitar shows and between 2020 and 2021, the market had raised so much that, um, you know, his prices went from high retail to, to reasonable wholesale. Wow. Um, so, That's amazing. You know, and, and he didn't keep up with the, the news. <laughs> he, just, he, I just, he, he just, you know, that he just didn't realize it. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, so the, the vintage guitar market was, was kind of going nuts. Um, and, and when I say that, the, you know, the mid, mid price stuff, the really expensive stuff, and then even those stuff that's kind of like maybe under, under four or 5,000, I think same deal. It just kind of, people were just in a feeding frenzy for it. Yeah. Um, and then 2022, I feel like we kind of started to see that pull back a little bit. And the, uh, um, the, the party was, I wouldn't say it was over, but there was a, a little bit of a hangover period, so to speak, yeah, where people sure. were kind of just like a little hesitant. They're like, wow, this stuff got really expensive really quick. Yeah. You know, I've been waiting for this Fender custom shop guitar that I ordered through Frank 18 months ago. I'm sick of waiting for it. You know, I think the the um, reality kind of set in a little bit with a, with a lot of buyers and a lot of you know people that buy and collect guitars. Yeah. And um, and I think that we're still kind of in that. You know, I mean, um, yeah. Here in, at the tail end of 2023, I, I do feel like, um, you know, I don't know what what the news says the economy is doing, but um, it it does seem like maybe. I wouldn't say that it's it's slowed per se, but it's just people that maybe are a little bit more hesitant. Yeah, um, which we're know, not probably a good thing. Yeah, we're not in a total slump, but it's definitely cooled off. That's that's my feeling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I and, I don't, and talking. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I don't sell a ton of used and vintage guitars, but I you know sometimes I luck into one, and I mean my bread and butter is restoring and building guitars, but mm-hmm. uh, sometimes I do luck into you know, guitars to resell. And, uh, it just seems to me just from my little toe in the water that things have slowed down a bit. Yes. So speaking of, of some of your guitars, you, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that I have one of the first non blonde pinup custom guitars. Oh, you do? Oh, I don't know. Oh, Um, it's your own personal. Yeah. That you built for me, like, I don't know. 12, 13 oh, years it's ago. It's just been so long, I don't remember, Frank. is What color is it? It's a uh, seafoam green. And it is it's it a, a, is it a, a, a single pickup? 
Uh, it was, and I actually had you route it for a, a neck pickup. Oh, <laughs> see, I think I remember that. No, does it have a serial? Does it have a serial number on the tip of the headstock? I think so. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah, you'll have to. Next time you look at it, let me know what that serial number is, and I can tell you exactly. I can look up. I will. Like, yeah, because that's that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah still, that still might have be. It, still love it, and yeah. Because I made the first several I made were either blonde or butterscotch, and that might be the first custom color one I did. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I still love it. It's a lot of fun to play. Good. So what's yeah. your uh, what's the repair department like at Thunder Road Guitars? You guys do a lot of uh, in-house repairs and setups and we 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 do um I mean as you know we send you a lot of stuff that is maybe outside of the the, the normal box and when oh, yeah. I say that like more kind of big big project stuff Sure or um, pick up rewinds in, in and stuff Yeah in terms I, of I appreciate uh, repairs that. that we do Oh go ahead Oh I just said I I appreciate that Yeah um, but in terms of repairs we do in house, um, Sam, the tech that we have on staff has been with me for about 10 years and, um, we do, you know, setups, restrings, pickup swaps, um, stuff like that. That's a little bit more, more on the basic side of repairs. Sure. And that seems to be, it makes it so our turnaround time is, is quick and, and, you know, yeah. we don't have to tell people that they have to wait weeks and weeks for the guitars. Um, yeah. You know, I think that if if he was doing like headstock repairs, neck resets, and refrets, and things that take a little bit more time, our our wait times would be longer. Oh, yeah. Tell um, me about just it. Just kind of focusing on what he really does best is you know his setup work and yeah. um, electronic work. It allows us to have a you know a much much shorter wait time. Yeah, and that's you know that's such a good resource for you to have too in house to have your own guy there because you've got an inventory that sometimes need you need service on a guitar that's in stock. Absolutely. And, you know, that isn't just the vintage and use stuff. A lot of the um, instruments that we get from a lot of the companies that we carry, we like to do a kind of personalized setup on before it goes out on the floor. Yeah, that's um, a good and idea. And that's not to say that the, that's not to say that the setups or the, you know, assembly that they do before the instrument leaves the factory is not great. Um, we just want that when the customer's in the store and they're feeling that guitar for the first time, that it's, really as good as it can be. Sure. Yeah, and, you know, guitars need attention uh, from time to time. You can set up a guitar and then just hang it on the wall, and six months later it's going to need a setup again because they fluctuate with the seasons and with temperature <laughs> and humidity and, you know, wherever the guitar was made, the, the, the humidity and the climate might be different from where they're shipping it to. So once you get the guitar and it acclimates to your climate, then it needs to be set up again. So, no, that just makes sense. You know, a brick-and-mortar yeah. store, um, I, I can't tell you how many guitar stores I've walked into, and you pick a guitar off the wall, and it's got dust on it, and the action is an inch high. And these are like, you know, nice guitars, and they just don't they don't take the time to, uh, or they don't have anybody in-house to, to service it. So that makes a huge sure. difference. It does, and I think that even, um, you know, so when something's in the store, we want to make sure that it, it feels good and somebody sits down with it. But when, if it goes in a box and ships across the country and the world, that, you know, that setup is usually checked before it goes out the door as well. And, yeah. You know, um, we kind of try to take every every step that we can to make sure that when somebody gets it, it's, you know, really as, as great as it can be. And, you know, sometimes when a guitar ships from, you know, say Seattle to 
somewhere where the climate is totally different, it's it, it, it just by by the way it works, it's going to you know shift a little bit. Um, but we figure that that's kind of the least that we can do is just make sure that before it goes in a box that it's you know it's dialed. Somebody in. looks at it and <laughs> makes sure that it's as, as, as dialed in, in as can be. Yeah, absolutely. I love watching your uh, you you guys come up with the funniest and the coolest little promo videos with like <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it with like uh you know B movie Hollywood style uh, special effects and <laughs> craziness you know explosions and <laughs> yeah so um we've the videographer that we have on staff has, has been with us actually for um geez almost maybe only almost six six or seven years god he does a good and job man those videos are priceless he, he does and it's a lot of fun when we first kind of started doing it i think i was really fixated on like well everybody does demo videos or everybody does videos where they're talking about the guitar and so when we first started working with him that's what we were focusing on was doing you know demo videos or videos of somebody talking about a guitar and you know, um, what, what I kind of came to realize is that everybody does that every store, you know, that, that has either videographer on staff or that has access to, um, a way to create video content does that. And, um, they never really caught on, like people just didn't really seem to, um, respond to them like we wanted them to. Yeah. And it wasn't really until we started doing, the videos that we've been doing maybe for the last year that are um, the the way that I like to, I guess, describe them is it's a, you know, comical way to show either services that we offer the inventory that we offer or a way to showcase our staff in a fun and comical way and kind of try to break down the barrier between, you know, customer and, uh, you know, em- employee or employee, you know, retail person, yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you know, like, how many guitar shops have you walked into across the country and the staff is kind of maybe a little rude or just standoffish? And, you know, I think that for a lot of people that are are new to instruments or new to playing, that's the general thought is that they're going to walk into a store and it's going to be intimidating. And we really want to break down that barrier and make it a, a cool and fun experience yeah. and, you know, make it so when somebody walks into the store, that maybe watches some of our videos. They already feel like they know the staff, they know our inventory, they yeah. know the services that we offer. Well, comedy um, is a great way to break down those barriers, man. And you guys do a great job at it. Those videos yeah. are hilarious. They're, they're, they're a lot of fun. You know, sometimes we're sitting there and, and we're like, you know, what are we going to come up with for this week? And, yeah. um, you know, sometimes they're, they're really great and really well thought out. I and mean, sometimes it's just kind of like on the fly. Where's and, the um, where's the best place for uh, my listeners to go check out those videos on on your Instagram? Uh, probably probably our Instagram. Yeah, we we post most of them on our Instagram and then and then um, on YouTube and yeah. uh, Facebook as well. But I think Instagram is probably the the place that they usually go to first. What's the Instagram handle? I think it's uh, Instagram dot com slash Thunder Road Guitars. Yeah. I believe and it's just Thunder Road Guitars one word. And the website is thunderroadguitars.com? Yes, sir. There you go. That's the way to do it. I heard a rumor that you might have a promo code going on right now. We do. Can you share uh, that? You know, I sure can. So we, uh, 
the, the promo code is Bigfoot15 on our website. And if you go to uh, thunderrealguitars.com and um, you find something that you like and you throw it in the cart, if you enter that promo code, it, it'll knock 15% off um, the price of select guitars and amps. Nice. Um, is that going to run uh, through the holidays? Yeah. We're doing that through the end of the year. Yeah. Usually we do a like a big Black Friday, Small Business Saturday weekend thing. Yeah. Um, and we thought that, you know, why don't we kind of keep the, the savings rolling through the end of the year? Yeah. So, so to speak. Bigfoot 15, the number one, the yes, number like, five, Bigfoot one five. Yep. That's yep, the, like the like the uh, mythological creature. Oh, he's not mythological, Frank. He's real. <laughs> I think so, but you know. <laughs> uh, what's your um, web sales versus your brick and mortar sales like? Do you do you guys do more uh, sales online, or do you do more sales uh, in the shop? You know, that can vary from month to month or year to year. I, I would say just as a general rule, it's usually like 60% online, 40% in store. Um, some months or some years are more half and half. Um, some months or more year or years are a little more online or, or a little less in store. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of as a general rule, I would say it's about 60-40. Oh, 60-40 uh, web sales? Online. Yes, yeah. web sales versus in store. Yeah, that's interesting, man. You know, I... Back in the days when we used to work together, I, I mean, we saw that shift happen. You know, it would have been it, like... It, 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 we, I feel like we watched it happen in real time. Too. Yeah, it was it um, was it, interesting. It, it, as, as wild as that sounds, I remember when, when I was a teenager and I was, you know, working at the shop there, we never sold any... There was no... No guitars went in boxes and shipped places. Like, most of the instruments that went out the door were, you know, people in the store and they're playing stuff. And, and it was really more of a personal, you know, in-person way of, uh, doing, doing business. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know when eBay started, but I would feel like that oh, was the probably 90s. the beginning of, yeah, the beginning of instruments being sold online. But yeah, even up until maybe 2006 or seven, I still feel like people were, were apprehensive to buy an expensive guitar online. Yeah. And, um, I remember when I when I came back to Emerald, we we started doing G bass, yeah, and that just kind of like opened up the doors to this whole, um, you know, facet of of business that maybe it, it not necessarily didn't exist. It, it might have been always there, but it made it so somebody across the country or the world could see this instrument that you're selling that's here in your you know in your store in Seattle that yeah. wouldn't even known. It was there without, you know, G-Bass. And I think they kind of opened the doors to um, what we see now yeah. with, you know, with Reverb and and a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you do you list your inventory on Reverb.com as well as your website? We do. Um, we, we kind of try to get it in as many places as possible. One of those is Reverb. Um, we do our website. Um, we do list some things on eBay. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the kind of idea is just to get as many eyeballs on our inventory as possible. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting, you know, back in the, when we used to work together, or, you know, when I first moved to Seattle, I don't know if you remember this or if you knew this, but, uh, for those first few years I was at Emerald city guitars, I did repairs and I was also the web guy. I didn't know that. Yeah. I was, I was taking all the pictures and, and putting all the inventory on the website and uh you know it was like it would be like <laughs> one afternoon a week you know yeah 
and uh, that's because that's how much you know we focused on the website. It just wasn't that much. Yes, um, it you was know, very, very, very minimal. Yeah, you know? and um, as that grew, you know, it just became way too much for me to handle, and they, they. I mean, I'm sure they have a full-time website guy now. I don't, or a lot of shops do, <clears throat> where um, it we, gets it gets too we, hard we, to control. We de- yeah, we definitely do. Um, there was a you know a time when I was I was doing the photos and the the listings and listing on the website and everything, and that was years and years and years ago. But it, it kind of came to a point where I was like, I can't do this yeah. and everything else. Oh yeah. Um, so we have a, a you know full-time person that does all of our web listings and photography and and all that kind of stuff. And I think that to really to operate and compete with, you know, the the other stores in in the world, if you do want to do e-commerce, you really have to have somebody that that's their their sole purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised how many, um, you know, here in my hometown and I travel around a little bit, you go into a guitar store I'm surprised how many guitar stores still don't have much of a web presence. They they still are relying entirely on you know walk in and street traffic. And my goodness, uh, it's just astonishing to me. Like I just want to grab them by the shirt and say, "Why do you hate money?" You know, (laughs) get your guitars online. I think part of it is. You know, for a long time, that's how that's how it worked. There wasn't the internet, there wasn't e-commerce, there wasn't putting a guitar in a box and shipping it across the country. And I think that a lot of the, the maybe the stores that are still around that you still see still operating like that, they're you know maybe a creature of habit, and that's just how they've always done it. And they either don't see the value in you know listing their inventory online, or they don't have the the knowledge to do it or, or maybe they just don't care, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hate to say that, but, um, and you know, all power to them. I mean, yeah. if, if, if that's, <laughs> if, if that makes them happy and they're able to, sure, you if know, they're able to make it work without a website, I guess, you know, Yeah. but it's funny. Like you'll, you look at a, I look at, I don't want to name anybody's guitar store, but you look at sometimes you look at their website and you go, oh my God, when's the last time you guys updated this? And there's no inventory. It's just, yeah. a, you know, here's our hours and here's a picture of the staff and that's about it. <laughs> it yeah. just makes me laugh. Yeah. You know, and um, some places like to do it like that. I know that there was a, um, there still is a, a shop in Portland that has been in Portland for a long time. And I think up until really recently didn't do any internet business, like none. Yeah. And that was kind of their, like, they, they were like proud about that. They're like, we want all of our customers to be local. We want all of our customers to, you know, come in and play our guitars and find one they fall in love with. And, um, you know, so it's a, it's a noble thing to do, but it's also, a um, I don't know, just because we started as, you know, all, all online, it would seem like I was, if we all of a sudden decided that we weren't going to do internet or web sales, it would be like cutting our legs off and trying to run a marathon. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. Um, I know you travel around a little bit and get, uh, go on guitar searches and you get guitars shipped to you from all over the place, you know, trade-ins and whatnot. What's your, uh, mm-hmm. what's your best finds lately what's give me like three Um, of your greatest guitar finds lately 
I actually just just earlier this week flew across the country and bought a, a small collection of guitars from a customer of ours. Um, in that collection was a 1952 Gold Top that is a, just a really wonderful guitar. Um, a uh, really limited edition um, Fender Custom Shop uh, Murphy La or I'm sorry Fender Custom Shop um, Rocky Strat. Oh, uh, the, the George, George Harrison. Harrison Rocky yeah. Strat that um, Fender did a couple years ago that are, you know, I think they only built maybe 50 of them, but really, really cool. And, you know, for a fan of the Beatles and a fan of, uh, you know, Beatles-esque guitars, it's kind of like a must-have. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but those were the two big ones in that collection. There was also a 1951 Martin D28, um, a 1960 Gretsch Duojet. Um, so some cool stuff. And that was, like, earlier this week, I flew to Connecticut and... Um, grabbed those and came back the next day and it was like four planes in two days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, when it comes to guitar amps, do you carry new amps or do you, are you doing uh, all used and vintage amps? Um, you know, I have a, 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 a interesting love hate relationship with amplifiers at the moment. They're hard to um, ship. I feel like during, they're very hard to ship, but during the during the pandemic, we saw this shift from people buying amplifiers of all different shapes and sizes to really just wanting amplifiers that are maybe the size of a Princeton reverb. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like anything that was bigger than maybe a Princeton or Deluxe reverb was, was really difficult to sell. And um, to the point where we just kind of started saying no to a lot of anything that was bigger than that, like, you know people aren't buying them we don't have the space for them and if they're going to sit here for six to 12 months it's it's kind of a waste um and we also saw you know with i i love vintage amps and i've owned a lot of vintage amps and um when we were first starting out we didn't do any new amps it was just you know vintage and used amplifiers and over the years we've seen this interesting shift with the buyer landscape of vintage amps where um not all buyers but uh some of, you know, there's a small facet of them that they want it to be as stock as possible, you know, no caps replaced, original speaker, original power cord, I mean, 100%, and function and sound like a new amplifier. Yeah. And <laughs> you and I both know that that's just not the way that it works. Yeah. Um, it's just not. And, you know, it, it's really great to have an old amp that's 100% original and really clean and you know, museum quality, but a lot of times they need new caps or a new pot or a speaker recone or something to get it to sound um, like somebody would expect, a, you know, a modern amplifier to sound like, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but so, so to answer your question, um, we do um, some new stuff. We do, we carry Mesa Boogie, we carry uh, Two Rock, we carry um, obviously the Defender amplifiers um, and a few other brands. Um, and then also we have a you know nice selection of some vintage and used stuff as well. Cool, right on, man. Well, Frank, I, I'll let you go, man. I I really appreciate you coming on the show, and it's been great to catch up with you. And uh, yeah, I, I've been a listener for a long time, and obviously a friend for a long time. And I was I was really flattered that you you asked me to be on the show. So thank I, you. Well, we should have done it a long time ago, but <laughs> but uh, we'll do it again. Okay. Well, hey, I, I hope you and your, your boys have a merry, merry Christmas, and um, it's really great to catch up and talk with you. Oh, you too. Thanks, Frank. I'll talk to you soon, man. Oh. Okay. Bye, Eric. Okay. Bye-bye. 
Well, that does it for the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll talk to you again on January 15th and then the 15th of every month from there on. If you want to participate in the show, go to my website. That's ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and uh, fire off your question or comment, and I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is call or text 757 774 8482. That number is 757-774-8482 and uh, leave a voicemail there and we'll use it as part of the show. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate, just uh, make it about love and peace and family and uh, God bless you all. I'll talk to you soon.